From KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, in the United States, this is program number nine of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see towering mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful and just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The Tactile Traveler hopes to empower people not only literally to go around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired and glasses and contact lenses no longer help them to lead a normal life to people like me who are totally blind. And to sighted parents who have blind children, and blind parents who have sighted children to people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, we'll learn how you might still be able to get a driver's license, even if you can't pass the driver license's eye test. A way how people who are blind in one eye can experience depth. The special problems blind kids have when blind camps are closed because of the coronavirus, how to make zippier Zoom calls, an Asian country that's welcoming tourists again, and tips on making emergency white cane repairs. Flunking the eye exam at your local motor vehicle bureau doesn't mean that you have to give up driving or can't become a beginning driver. The first thing to do is to see if your ophthalmologist or optometrist will just fill out a form saying that you see well enough to drive with or without restrictions. If they don't feel you see well enough to drive, they have another way to get you behind the wheel. All 50 states and Washington, D.C. and driving authorities in some other countries have a system for licensing drivers who see worse than 2040 corrected in their best eye. The first thing to do is to see if your ophthalmologist or optometrist will just fill out a form saying that you see well enough to drive with or without restrictions. If they don't feel you see well enough to drive, there's another way to get you behind the wheel. It's a low-vision driver's license. Requirements vary widely from state to state. Some states require special training, which might require the driver to wear special glasses called bioptics, which we'll describe in a moment. Some states say that bioptics can only magnify up to 300%, while other states say the bioptics can magnify up to 450%. And then you might need special training for varying numbers of hours, or you might not need any. And we have 51 different sets of rules regarding vision and driving. 
and that is because there has been no study, nor will there ever be a study, that will delineate the precise amount of vision, both acuity and visual field, in order to be a safe driver. It is simply too complex, and driving is too complex. And so all of the rules and regulations that the DMVs have are pretty much um, really not based on any science. So every state is completely different. These numbers make no sense whatsoever. Dr. Richard Schuldiner, low vision optometrist and president of the International Academy of Low Vision Specialists. Dr. Schuldiner says many, but not all patients, require bioptic glasses. Some states do allow bioptic telescope glasses. A bioptic is a telescope located high on a pair of glasses lens so that when you are driving, you're looking through a regular lens, but the telescope is available by dipping your chin down a little bit and looking through the top of the lens and magnifying street signs and road signs and traffic lights so you can see them better. After a doctor certifies that you see well enough to get a low vision driver's learning permit, you need to get that permit from your local driver's license office, which may have never issued one in the past. So don't be surprised if it takes many visits with lots of calls to supervisors' supervisors to see how they handle it. Depending on the state, you might need low vision driver's training which will probably start with an evaluation of all the skills you need for driving. Frank Butel. My title would be a driver rehabilitation specialist, and I've been in business since 1986. My family's been doing this since 1946. I'm current president of the Driving School Association of California, owner-operator of handicap driver training, and California driver rehabilitation. The comprehensive eval is important because we see other things in the comprehensive eval. Someone could be borderline dementia. They could have cognitive issues that are going to affect their driving. They could bad, uh, poor reaction time, uh, poor lead time. So there, there's a lot to it. Very important if you're going to drive to have a comprehensive driving evaluation done. I know there are some states that don't have uh, facilities out there like ours, um, but I highly recommend seeking a driver rehabilitation specialist to do a proper evaluation, which consists of a clinical assessment and a behind the wheel. There are some facilities that only do the, uh, the clinical and they don't do the behind the wheel. So you want someone who's going to be able to do both. So we get a low vision person, we first see what they can see without using the bioptics, we assess them, um, then we have them wear the bioptics, and then we train them or we actually assess them with the bioptics to see what they can see, and then we go into an explanation of how to use the bioptics. Some do very well, some do very well. They, they, I think the thing is they have to know what their limitations are. So they might not drive at night. They might not drive on the freeway. Um, and, and sometimes glare hurts them. So when the sun is um, rising or setting, they might drive either. So 
there are certain times of the day, and there's other tricks to do. What I do for someone who has issues with glare, uh, a lot of times I'll recommend putting a carpet kit on their dashboard to eliminate the glare coming off the, uh, the dashboard, which could be devastating to someone that has low vision. Marilyn Mancini lives six miles from the world-renowned ski resort of Crested Butte, Colorado. She uses her low-vision driving license to get to her job as a clerk in the clothing department of a store. Driving is real important because we live out in the country, and I need to, if I want to go into town, I, I need to drive in. Like many low-vision drivers, she uses good sense in addition to her driver's license. Those are my own personal limits. The license bureau says no driving at night, and that's the only limitation. I could drive to Carbondale, but you know, I, I, try, I am married, so I do have a, a husband. If I didn't have my husband, I, I probably would be driving more places, but I would not drive in heavy traffic even though I'm probably capable of it. Marilyn Mancini says she does take turns driving on long trips, relieving her husband when they're on interstates with low traffic. She also says she uses her bioptic glasses when she's a passenger and on hikes. Dr. Schulliner says he made a pair of bioptic glasses for himself that he uses at football and baseball games instead of binoculars. Bioptic glasses in low-vision driving school can be expensive. Bioptic glasses cost from $2,500 to $5,000. And the evaluation for low-vision driving school can run from $550 to $950, plus the cost of driver training. And when you're done, you still might not be a safe enough driver to get a low-vision license. Your local State Department of Vocational Rehabilitation might be able to help you with the cost of getting a low vision license if you need it to get to work or for work. The International Academy of Low Vision Specialists has a list of requirements for low vision licenses for every state and Washington, D.C. on their webpage, ialvs.com. Or you could go to the transcript of the Tactile Traveler, program number 9, and find the link. There's a way for people who are blind in one eye to expand what they can see. If you're blind in one eye, Lydia Eckert has a tip you might find useful. When you look at something with two eyes, each eye is seeing it in two dimensions from slightly different angles. Your brain mixes the two pictures together, and you experience this in three dimensions. If you only see things with one eye, you only see in two dimensions, which looks flat like in a photograph to people who see with both eyes. But there's a way for people like me who are totally blind in one eye, who experience 3D, like the space between the tip of a person's nose and their face. Holograms are optical illusions, and they're a three-dimensional illusion. Some of the places you could see holograms are the Illinois Holocaust Museum in Skokie, Illinois, Oscar's Candle Holocaust Museum, and Education Center in Terre Haute, Indiana. 
Donald's Holocaust and Human Rights Museum, Houston Holocaust Museum, Los Angeles Museum of the Holocaust, Swedish History Museum, Stockholm, Sweden, Malt Museum of Jewish Heritage, Beechwood, Ohio, and the Rise of the Resistant Attraction in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland Anaheim, California, and at Disney's Hollywood Studios, Disney World, Orlando, Florida. Thank you, Lydia. A cherished summer tradition for thousands of kids across America has been canceled because of the coronavirus, and that includes camps for the blind and visually impaired, frequently the only place they have to meet other blind children. The tactile traveler's Jason Struther tells us what they're missing this year. Camp Marcellup has been a place for decades where kids with vision impairments and other disabilities go to get some fresh mountain air. Get set! Go! And compete in games like potato sack racing, like this video shows. This sleepaway camp is located in the hills of Rockaway, New Jersey. And like any American summer camp, there's boating, arts and crafts, a swimming pool, campfires, and of course, sing-alongs. But not this summer. Like many camps, Camp Marcella's cabin doors are closed because of COVID-19. I know a little bit about this place. I was a camper there back in the 90s and worked as a counselor for a couple summers during college. Just like Kristen Gallant, co-director of Camp Marcella. It has been open since 1947, and this is the very first year it is not going to have a camping session. Besides the, the boating and the arts and crafts, what do you think kids are missing out this summer by not being able to attend Camp Marcella? The number one thing is the socialization. This is the only time they're around their peers that are like them. And it's nice to be able to discuss things that you only have, you know, in common with a percentage of the population. And so Camp Marcella is the place where people can get together and be around others that are like them and have conversations that truly someone else can empathize with. Do you think this is the first time for many of these kids to meet someone else who has a visual impairment? Yeah, actually, as a camper, it was the first time I met someone else with a visual impairment. How many years were you a camper? Five years. What do you think it did for you as a camper going there? You know, it gave me confidence. I truly, especially going into high school, I felt the confidence that I can achieve my goals. And it didn't matter that I needed to do it in a different way than someone who is fully sighted. Um, and I, it goes back to that social piece. I would go up and talk to anyone and before camp, you know, I just kind of sat in the background. I guess maybe for some visually impaired children that are, you know, going to mainstream schools, maybe they're being bullied or not having the adequate educational resources, but you think camp kind of gave them that safety. Absolutely. It also gave you friends. So if you were getting bullied in school, so I, I, I'm a pretty confident person, but I still got made fun of, and it hurt. Um, but you, for the camp, I had friends I could call up and have a conversation, and some of them were going through the same thing and even gave tips on how to handle it. Are you still friends with many of the people that you went to camp with back when, in the 90s? I would say yes, yep. 
Do you think for many of the children who attend Camp Marcella, would they otherwise have any chance to spend time in the wilderness? No. A lot of times camp is the first time they've gotten in a boat. Um, It's the first time they've gone fishing. Most parents I'm finding aren't taking their kids out on adventures. They just don't know how to fish with their child or canoe with their child. And so they just don't do it. What are you hearing from parents uh, now that camp is closed this summer? Are, are they upset they weren't able to send their kids to Camp Marcella? Yes, but also understanding. So it's also an outlet for parents. Having a child with a disability is a lot of extra work for a parent. So it was also a little bit of a break for them. Uh-huh. But now that I'm a parent myself, I know the joy I feel when my child is joyous. Um <laughs> Right, and excited, and I'm happy for them, especially if they're sad during other times. And because camp makes everyone happy, they they love seeing their kids happy, and they love seeing their kids with friends. What are you missing the most this summer about not being able to uh, work at camp? Um, so camp has become my home away from home. So I was a camper there, and then I worked my way up from laundry girl and ended up being director. So that is just where I go every summer. Um, so it's very odd to not be there <laughs> for some, when you've been doing something. I started camp, I think it was 1994. Mm. And now we're going on 2020. And I only missed a couple summers in between when I had my kids. So, And of course, the songs, you never forget the camp songs. No, and it's so funny. I've been there for so many years. And everyone has their songs that they think are the Camp Marcella songs. And even having worked up there, people will come back who were there in the 60s, the 70s. And they're like, oh, and this is the Camp Marcella song. And they always say that their time at camp was the best camp ever was. For you, what is the soundtrack of your uh, Camp Marcella experience? If I'm going to play a song to uh, lead us out of this story, uh, what should I play? So right now it would be Country Roads because that's what we've done as our camp song for the past 10 years. Kristen Gallant, co-director of Camp Marcella. Thanks a lot for talking to me and stay safe. Stay safe. (laughs) You too. Bye. Thank you, Jason. International restrictions are a little less restrictive for visiting some Asian countries since the coronavirus has become a pandemic. Elizabeth Campbell says you might need to bring more than just extra tips for your white cane. Take Cambodia, for instance, where the government is requiring foreigners to shell out big bucks for coronavirus expenses once they land at the airport. If you're from the United States... France, Germany, Italy, Spain, or Iran. You can't go there right now. But for our listeners in other countries, you will also need a health certificate stating that you tested negative for COVID-19 and proof that you have an insurance policy with minimum coverage of $50,000. Once you land, you and other passengers will be tested for COVID-19. If your test comes back negative... Well, you're quarantined for 14 days. If you or other passengers test positive, you'll be quarantined at a specific location. You'll have lots of time. Get ready to set out for cool destinations, such as Tunley Sop Lake, a UNESCO site because of the wildlife. You can't miss traveling to the wondrous temples. 
including the largest religious building in the world, Angkor Wat. When you're ready to go home, you'll get your $3,000 back, minus the cost of your 14-day quarantine expenses, that corona test, and possibly your funeral. Thank you, Elizabeth. In the era of the coronavirus, we're spending a lot of time on Zoom calls. Phyllis Chavez has some tips on how to make zippier Zoom calls you might find useful. Not only Zoom calls, any video call. You need to think of two things when you star or have a supporting role on Zoom. You want to look and sound good, not because you're an egomaniac, but because you want to be taken seriously. Communicate well and sell your ideas to your Zoom mates. First, don't sit in front of a window or any source of light coming from behind you. That's because it causes you to be backlit, which washes out the features on your face. That makes it difficult for people to get visual clues while you speak. So close the drapes or blinds behind you. So you want to sound good so you have authority. Lots of people on Zoom calls are too loud, too low, echo, or have background noises. That's a problem you might solve by moving closer or further away from the mic on your webcam or laptop. Use a headset. If you have one, people who are frequently in the news should buy a lavalier microphone. You can buy one online for less than $25 that will plug into your computer. Thank you, Phyllis. White canes have a way of breaking, but that doesn't have to leave us stranded. Simon Bonifant has some tips you might find useful. If you're traveling alone and your white cane breaks, you can still make it back home or to your hotel. If a straight cane shaft breaks, like when someone steps on it or it gets caught in a car door, if the driver is still there, ask for a ride home. If the driver is gone and you're near a business, go in the business and ask if they could duct tape some pencils tightly to the broken section of the cane. If they have something longer and stronger than pencils, like a ruler, that's even better. Then, use the cane very lightly, and it'll get you a short distance. If it's a folding cane and a section breaks, use pencils and duct tape where the two pieces come together. If the elastic band in the middle of the cane breaks, that's a simple repair. Stick something thin, like a couple blades of grass, where the sections slip together. They'll make a secure connection. If you use pieces of paper between the sections, they'll stay together so well, you'll never get them apart, and you'll have a straight cane. Save broken folding canes. You can use the parts to make new canes. And always save removable wrist straps and tips. They can be used again. Wrist straps can also be used as wrist straps for cell phones that are in cell phone cases. And finally, always carry extra tips in your pocket. If you use small tips, keep a backup folding cane in your backpack, briefcase, large purse, and suitcase. Thank you, Simon. It's my talking scale. 
reminded us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Send us an email with story ideas in the subject line at the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwrite in the subject line at the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are also available for our deaf listeners by searching the tactile traveler in any search engine. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in other states, and available wherever you get podcasts, and asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, The Tactile Traveler. We'd like to thank the following people who made today's program possible. Be My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support, Apple Accessibility Tech Support, Humanware Tech Support, Ira, Lorraine Hutchinson, Paula Fromm, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Harry Cooper, Sierra Wolf, Michelle Bauman, Lucas Turner, and Raleigh Burley. This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.